0: Hello there, hello there. Hello, what have we here? Hello there, and thank you very much for joining me. This is Daniel Talks About Star Wars, the show where I do exactly as that name suggests. I, of course, am the titular Daniel, and we're going to be talking about some Star Wars today. We're returning to the novelized world of Star Wars today, the literary side of things, and we're taking our first proper step into uh, the legend continuity, what's known as the expanded universe. I've touched on it sort of briefly with uh, things not too long ago, like the story of the faithful Wookiee from the holiday special. Not that I think anybody would uh, count that really, anyway. (laughs) We've also looked at Republic Commando last episode, and some time ago now, I also took a look at the Crimson Empire comic series and although those things are uh, technically out of continuity they are part of the legends canon what i'm talking about today is sort of just much more steeped more firmly rooted in the post return of the jedi legends continuity um so i'm kind of excited to just be talking about that a little bit today just sharing some of my thoughts on that whole sort of era of star wars um but what am i talking about well It's a novel, the first of nine novels in the Star Wars Legacy of the Force series, the first novel of which was written by the late Aaron Alston, and it is entitled Betrayal. Now, Betrayal was potentially the first Star Wars book I ever, or like, you know, novel, expanded universe sort of material that I really properly attempted (laughs) to get into. I never actually finished it at the time, and if it's not the first, then it's definitely among the first, you know, this was one of the early ones that caught my attention back in the day when I first wanted to explore this uh, side of the franchise, and I've just finished listening to it. I was listening to the audiobook, which was read superbly by uh, Mark Thompson, I do believe his name was. It seems definitely, if you're looking at Star Wars audiobooks, the two guys that, at least from my experience, that you want uh, reading them are definitely Mark Thompson and Jonathan Davis. Those two are excellent. They make for such engaging... uh, yeah, Not hosts, that's not the word I'm looking for, but yeah. Point is, those two are really good, so if you happen to be scrolling through Audible or something like that, and you happen to uh, to catch those two's names next to the narrated by part on whatever book you might be looking at, definitely uh, give it a chance. But anyway, Legacy of the Force is the uh, series, nine books, as I said, that comes after the Dark Nest trilogy, which itself followed on from the New Jedi Order, if I'm getting my facts right, and I suppose I should just maybe explain this a bit better, because at the moment, if you're not really familiar with the Legends canon, then I'm just saying a bunch of titles, Um, you know, the sort of, going from the post-Return of the Jedi era, starting with Heir to the Empire, and that, the Thrawn trilogy by Timothy Zahn, you know, that sort of kicked off this whole thing that takes us through series like uh, the Jedi Academy trilogy, the New Jedi Order, Young Jedi Knights is in there as well, but I'm assuming that was probably more aimed towards children, uh, Legacy of the Force, of course, the Darkness Trilogy, uh, as I've mentioned, the Fate of the Jedi series, which came after Legacy of the Force, some of the order of what I've just mentioned is a bit mixed up, but yeah, th- that, you know, all of those sort of series just chronicle what happened with the skywalker family after return of the jedi you know it it shows us that han and leia they had children of their own twins uh by the names of jason and jaina solo uh they later had a younger son as well named anakin solo uh luke uh would eventually marry a lady named mara jade and they would have a son together ben skywalker somewhere amidst uh the this continuity uh chewbacca dies at some point i believe he gets hit by a moon and that's not a joke you know it's a very how could i put this sort of by the numbers almost like very much expected continuation of the skywalker saga you know sort of having the children of Han, Luke, and Leia. Not all three of them, obviously, but they're uh, <laughs> they're individual children, you know, sort of carrying on that legacy. You know, the fact that Han and Leia have twins, it's a very sort of neat, almost, um, I mean, it's, it's certainly not perfect because there, there is, you know, tragedy that, that does take place that I will get into, but, you know, it's just a very comfortable kind of I suppose where it could be looked at that the sequel trilogy of films, the new continuity, the canonical uh, events, you know, where where it could be seen that those are actually kind of depressing, just in the way that, obviously, Han and Leia are, like, separated, Luke's alone on an island being miserable, Han gets killed, Luke gets killed, Leia dies, you know. Going to this continuity and looking at this old expanded universe and just seeing how the stories play out, it's a much more comfortable, almost that feeling of, like, just going home, and, and having all these characters still going strong, like, and this is set, Betrayal, the book that I'm, I'll eventually get around to talking about this episode, um, you know, that's set 40 years after the Battle of Yavin, so we are, like, firmly into the future um and yet it's you know it's as if nothing really changed uh but we sort of have all the bonuses of the children and and things like that am i making sense i hope so and you know in that respect despite what i'm going to say about the book you know i almost i do prefer that i think to the to the to the films you know what can i say it's nice to have all the characters together living on going strong do they feel like the exact same characters uh, that we have in the films, despite the fact that it's been forty years since those films, genuinely can't remember what the start of that sentence was. Wow. <laughs> but the point I'm trying to make is, you know, yes, is it is it is it almost you know sort of fan servicey the way that Han Solo is absolutely the same character that he was like pretty much in A New Hope, I want to say. Um, yeah. Uh, but you know, at the same time, it's enjoyable. You know, that's that's what those characters were like when we fell in love with them so long ago there's nothing inherently wrong with having them feel the same way all these years later so in that respect the the you know the sequel trilogy almost it's more it's more challenging i think as a fan and you sort of have to some things is sort of you know they feel like harder pills to swallow and i think that's why so many people were so attached to the eu not just because obviously it was years and years of extra Star Wars, and, you know, for people that, you know, we never knew when or if an episode 7, 8, or 9 were ever gonna happen, so, you know, for the longest time, that was Star Wars, you know, that was the future, but putting that aside, you know, I can still see just with how the story plays out, and what the characters were like, and yeah, just the, you know, those stories being told, you can absolutely see why people would prefer that, and find that a lot more gratifying than what we eventually get in the sequel trilogy, you know, where we've got Christy old Luke, and all that stuff, but anyway, god, that felt like a lot of rambling nonsense, I hope that made the point I was trying to make there, made any sense at all, but um, yeah, so I suppose just quickly running through what led us up to the point of the Legacy of the Force series, mainly I suppose I could just talk about the New Jedi Order, which is a series I'd love to read one day, but it just, it seems so absolutely impenetrable from the outside, that is a series of, let me just quickly check how many novels are in that series, so the New Jedi Order ran from 1999 to 2003, and it consisted of 19 full-length novels, like, you know, how am I supposed to sort of try and penetrate that as a, as a fan- now, you know, it would have been hard enough at the time, I think, trying to keep up with all of that, let alone now, where, you know, you just look back, and it's like, god, that's 19 books I've got to read, not to mention all the other stuff I need to try and catch up on as well, Um, you know, the legacy of The Force is hard enough, with it being nine novels, you know, I'm sort of feeling very intimidated by just how... (laughs) how much I'm going to have to read if I want to continue this series, but anyway, yeah, the New Jedi Order was basically all about the Yuzhan Vong, which is this great villain that everyone goes nuts about, these awful, awful people, or this awful race of horrible warriors or conquerors, Um, I don't know an awful lot about them, but I just know that people love the Yuzhan Vong, and, you know, it's a galaxy-spanning epic, obviously, told in 19... volumes, and um, that was where Anakin Solo, Han and Leia's youngest son, did die. I think he was only like 16 or something. I thought I had more to say about the New Jedi Order, just in terms of context, but obviously I've never actually read them, so I don't know what I was expecting to say. But just that once that wraps up, we have the Dark Nest trilogy, which I never hear get talked about. I don't think that's held in particularly high regard. But then that brings us to The Legacy of the Force series, first published in 2006 with the novel Betrayal by Aaron Alston. And the Legacy of the Force series, I'm not sure if people knew this at the time, but I feel like it was almost the hook of the series, perhaps, um, that it was going to chronicle the downfall of Jason Solo and, you know, sort of have him become a Sith. And if people didn't know that before going into the book, they certainly do. (laughs) Certainly do know when it's ended, because this that happens right in this first novel, which surprised the hell out of me, because we still have eight more novels to read of this series, so I'm interested to see how it'll play out. But yeah, that's basically the hook of this series, and it obviously sets some of the groundwork for what would later be Ben Solo, Kylo Ren, so that's quite interesting. But yeah, let's finally actually talk a bit about betrayal. I don't have an awful lot to say about it, to be honest. Um, I thought it was okay. You know what? I'm just going to skip right to the end and talk about Jason's uh, decision to perhaps become a Sith. (laughs) Um, He is being persuaded by the Sith Lady Lumia, who is not a character I know an awful lot about. The only thing I've known about her for many, many years is the fact that she carries a light whip which is just as it sounds, it's a lightsaber, except it's a whip. She's just talking to Jason, and it's a pretty casual conversation, honestly, like, it's pretty, it's not really, um, it's pretty low-key, she's just saying, like, hey, Jason, you know, Sith are not all evil, uh, there's actually some nice Sith, uh, out there, and Jason's all like, "How? all right, yeah, whatever, give me an example, and then she talks about a character that I assume appeared in the New Jedi Order series, a character that helped Jason, even helped um, Mara Jade, like, deliver her and Luke's son, Ben, at the time, so I guess that that happened during the Yuzhan Vong invasion, and there's plenty of reference to Jason being, like, captured and tortured by the Yuzhan Vong throughout the book, so it is quite, referenced quite a lot throughout, but yeah, I I suppose this character, I forget the name, Vergear or something like that, was present in the New Jedi Order. If she wasn't, then it's a hell of a retcon. <laughs> but yeah, that's basically what Lumia says. Is just like, remember that person? They helped you, and they helped deliver Ben Skywalker. So what do you say to that, Jason? And he's like, hmm, you raise a good point. And then, yeah, that's basically enough for him to be like, I get, I get it. Yeah, I'll be a Sith, I guess. I mean, he doesn't outright say that. He just says he's open to sort of listening to what Lumia wants to tell him or teach him, but yeah, it's really weird, unless, of course, because I am coming into this, although it is a new series, I'm obviously coming into 40 years worth of new lore that I've, so, so, you know, perhaps I'm missing some crucial context, but the way that Lumaya is talking to Jason and saying, like, you need to become a Sith, and you need to open yourself up to these new ideas on how to use the Force and your new power, And, and she's saying that he he needs to do this so that he can put an end to the war, because there's another civil war going on, um, surprise, surprise, and, you know, that's, that's the way he'll be able to save the galaxy, that kind of came out of nowhere, like, the, the situation of the galaxy, the fact that there's even, like, a proper war going on, you know, that, that, uh, it, it didn't really come across, you know, throughout the book, a big thing is, is about Corellia, and the fact that that wants to be independent from the New Republic. Although I don't think it's called the New Republic. They kept saying Galactic Alliance throughout the book, so I guess that's I guess what's that's what that is. Um they want to be independent from the GA. And you know, there's a few battles here and there just because tensions are running high, I suppose, but like th- I didn't really get the the picture that the galaxy was in like dire straits, you know. So the fact that one of Lumire's arguments was like you'd well, pretty much her main argument, aside from the whole Sith can be nice too thing, is the fact that, you know, the galaxy needed saving, and I just didn't, I didn't get that, but yeah, I mean, one thing I did like about Jason's turn, as it were, was the fact that there was a really nice moment, uh, and it was, it was even better probably, like, through the audiobook, just because the Star Wars audiobooks always have music to use from the films and sound effects as well, so they're really quite cinematic, and they started playing some of that sad, sad music from Revenge of the Sith where Jason was having some, like, visions, and every outcome of the vision led to Luke dying by Jason's hand, and the only way that he could see that not happening was killing one of his fellow Jedi that, that was, has been with him this whole time and is also trying to dissuade him from talking to Lumaya you know, he has to kill this person in order to stop that future from of him murdering Luke from coming true, and that was well done. But still, the fact that Jason went that far and seemed pretty okay about it really came out of left field for me. I think it was a very sudden turn, and again, I'm so surprised it happened in this first book, but I guess that's why it's called Betrayal. Uh, um, As for the rest of the book, it's, it's pretty okay. The stuff on Corellia is pretty interesting, to be fair. I do like, obviously, Han is having a hard time picking his side, being a Corellian and all that. Very proud of the fact that he's Corellian as well. Same for Wedge Antilles, who was pretty cool, actually. I know he's a very prominent figure throughout the Legends canon. The same cannot be said for the current canon, Um, but I know that Wedge is like a, yeah, he's a pretty powerhouse character um, throughout Star Wars Legends. So, and honestly, I can see why, because in this book, he was pretty cool. But yeah, of course, he's Corellian also. Uh, he has a daughter as well. So much offspring in this book. We meet Sal Solo, who is Han Solo's cousin, uh, who was an interesting character to read about. He's a bit of a not-nice guy. <laughs> um, there's a really weird thing, actually, as well. I'm sorry, these thoughts are absolutely all over the place. I do apologise I did not write any notes for this one. But there's a we like one of the main missions that the characters go on, Jason and Ben, who is uh Jason's apprentice. They go to Corelia because Corelia is secretly trying to restore Centre Point Station. And they say that Centre Point Station is essentially a super weapon, not quite a Death Star, but you know think of, think that sort of category of Star Wars thing, you know, Centerpoint Station is a devastating super weapon, and Corellia have their hands on it for some reason, and they're trying to restore it, uh, this was apparently another thing from the New Jedi Order, uh, series of books, I do believe, because they mention that Anakin Solo, uh, his, like, he was almost imprinted on it, uh, I think is what they say, and so he was the only person, that could control it, or pilot it in any way, so yeah, that's a whole thing, but Jason and Ben need to go to Corellia to basically stop them from restoring it, or just destroy it altogether, that's kind of their little side mission that they go on, and they do it, but they run into a droid, well no, Ben runs into a droid that's at Center Point Station, and it fully believes that it is Anakin Solo, and I'm expecting this to be like a big deal throughout the book, you know, like, oh my god, how's Jason going to react to this? How are Luke, not Luke, God, Han and Leia potentially going to react to this? You know, this this consciousness that firmly believes it is their deceased child. How is this going to play out? And it doesn't. It kind of just has a conversation with Ben for a bit, and then it's just like, oh yeah, I'm a droid, and maybe we shouldn't restore this deadly super weapon. I'm going to self-destruct, or whatever it does, I can't quite remember. But yeah, that was weird, just the fact that it was so, you know, that was quite a a juicy story detail, and the fact that it got wrapped up so quickly was very strange to me. I can't talk about a Legends novel without talking about the completely unnecessary and tired references to the original trilogy that I know so many Legends books do. They can't forget about that thing that happened 40 years ago, can they? There is, like, there's references to the fact that Han shot first. Han Solo, at one point, says, um, I was just about to say that he says, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. But why would he say that? Because Obi-Wan is dead. Maybe he doesn't say that exactly. Maybe he says, like, help me, Luke Skywalker. He's just trying to get out of something. He's being, like, sarcastic. It's just, you know, Han being Han. But he's referencing the help me obi-wan kenobi or my only hope thing that leia says and he's poking fun at leia but i'm just like han wasn't there for that he never saw that message so like why is he making a reference to it and it happened 40 years ago do you do people really make references to things that happened in their lives that long ago it's crazy but i think so many of these legends novels are guilty of just ramming the original trilogy down your throat, it's just like, remember this! <laughs> it was interesting coming off this as well, having recently read Light of the Jedi, and just the way that the Force is talked about is so interesting, like, the differences between the two novels. I said um, in my Clone Wars episode, the um, *Gendi Tartikovsky 2D series that um, I did a commentary for that Uh, will never see the light of day because it's been lost and I'll never stop talking about it. I made a point of mentioning during uh, the Mace Windu segment of that particular animated series, where Mace Windu is literally just going hand-to-hand with, like, a legion of battle droids and is just using the Force effectively as a superpower. I made a point of saying that, although in the light of the Jedi, something I appreciated about that novel was the fact that the Force was not a superpower in that, and it was just much more this kind of natural, mystical, more sort of vaguely defined thing that people very much sort of felt, you know, and was, it was just, it was just chill, you know, and, 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 like, then you go to something like Clone Wars, where it is just this straight-up superpower. I just made a point of saying that I'm okay with those things coexisting, like, I'm happy for it to be one thing in Light of the Jedi, and I'm happy for it to be this other thing in Clone Wars, like, it's fine to have these things coexist, but sort of being able to compare two of the same medium where that thing is the case, and so Light of the Jedi, and now Legacy of the Force, Betrayal, yeah, it was just so interesting to read how the Force was referred to in Betrayal. You know, there's so much reference to just, oh my god, there's so much force energy around here, I can feel it, you know, and like, people just like, doing force runs and force jumps, you know, it's, it's, it's so different, and it's just, it's, it's actually crazy. (laughs) it was just, and it was just something that really stood out to me. It was also just, like, the Force could do anything in this, like, Jason could just see, like, the future, basically. He, there was one point towards the end of the book, like, completely untriggered by something, like, he just saw so many, like, outcomes for the potential futures, and he was like, I'm looking into the future, hold on, and it was just, like, really weird, um, But yeah, that was just something that really stood out to me. But you know, even in that, there were a few interesting ideas with the Force in this book. There's a moment uh, where Jason and Ben start fighting, like, these sort of dark Force projections, almost, of Luke and Mara Jade. Ben fights Mara Jade and Jason fights Luke. And it's like, you know, I mean... I can't remember exactly how they were described in the book, but I also, I, you know, I imagined them as being like these very like shadowy, misty kind of looking, just like ghost figures almost. Actually, very much like the um the Clone Wars episode in season six, where Yoda um fights like a double of himself, and it's just like black with these red eyes, and that's all kind of smoky. I think I was pretty much just imagining that. But then we go to the flip side of it, where Luke and Mara Jade actually are, and they themselves are fighting, like, these phantom projections of Jason and Ben. These events are happening in real time, like, they are genuinely fighting each other, but each are seeing these, like, dark side projections of their opponents, and they're all saying these things, like, they're all saying these lines, sorry, but when you see it from the different perspectives they're recontextualized, if that makes any sense, so Luke would say one thing, I can't think of an actual example, so I'll just make one up, but Luke could say something like, you're not Jason, I don't know, and and that's like real Luke saying it to that projection, but then from Jason's perspective, you've got like this horrible, twisted version of Luke saying, you're not Jason, and it sort of takes on this whole different meaning from Jason's perspective, because it has been twisted through this Uh, dark side lens, and that was a pretty engaging sequence that I quite enjoyed hearing, so yeah, there were a few moments like that that were quite interesting, but honestly, not a lot throughout the book really stood out to me that much, you know, this was by no means the um, best Star Wars book I've ever read or listened to, rather, it was an okay six, or so hours. I'm not saying it's it's bad by any stretch, you know, I did want to see how the story played out. I do find the whole business with Corellia quite interesting. Um, I will check out the next book at some point, uh, Bloodlines, I do believe it's called, but yeah, didn't really feel like the, you know, the sort of jolt that you need to really kick off a series, and again, I'm, I'm struggling to see where it's going to go, or how long it's going to take to where it needs to go, considering that we're already seeing Jason begin his journey down the dark path and we're only at the end of the first book, you know, we've still got eight more novels to go. Um, So yeah, Star Wars Legacy of the Force, Betrayal, it was written by Aaron Alston, may he rest in peace, and it was pretty okay. But enough about that, because now we are going into... The segment of the show that is different to the main bit of the show. Truth be told, it's it's actually a segment named after my favourite Sesame Street character, the Wookie monster. <laughs> this segment of the show is all about me hopping onto Wikipedia and just doing a random article. Maybe we'll learn something new about it. I'll certainly share my thoughts about said article. It's just a bit of fun. Maybe it will be something that I have absolutely no idea what to say about it. We'll see. It's just a bit of fun. But firstly, I'm just going to take a look around and see if there's any polls I can take a part in, or take part in rather. What's this one? Which of these prequel era films holds a more special place in your heart? The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, or the Clone Wars movie? Well, I predict that the overwhelming majority will go to episode three but for me it has to be between the Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. Attack of the Clones would be one for me because That was always my favourite as a kid. But then also, uh, something about The Phantom Menace, you know? That is the first prequel, and there's a lot of great Star Wars iconography from that film. That's a tricky one. I'm gonna say Attack of the Clones, and that is actually the lowest-ranking answer, surprisingly, even below The Clone Wars. 72% said Revenge of the Sith, followed by 14% with The Phantom Menace, 6% The Clone Wars, and 5% Attack of the Clones, so... I am in the minority there, but anyway, let's hit that surprise me button, and today we are talking about Hondo Onaka, and that's cool. His um image on Wikipedia is um the animatronic thing that they have at Galaxy's Edge, which is insane. If you've never seen that thing, just look up Hondo Onaka, like Galaxy's Edge, like that animatronic is incredible. It's so lifelike and just crazy, but Hondo, I mean, I know people like him he pops up in a lot of things. As I said, he's, you know, at galaxy's edge of all things, so he certainly has a place among the fandom. He's never been a character that I'm particularly bothered by. Um, He's voiced by the late, not the late, my goodness, the the great, rather, is what I meant to say, uh, Jim Cummings, who you, you might know best as voicing Winnie the Pooh. But yeah, he's, he made his first appearance in Clone Wars, he appeared in Rebels. I'm sure we'll see him again, considering that he's still alive around the time of Galaxy's Edge, which... I know is a theme park, but canonically, because everything apparently has to be canon, that does take place within the sequel trilogy era, so he is alive and well. Let's take a look down to that handy behind-the-scenes section. Hondo's name is derived from the Japanese film director Ishiro Honda. there we go, (laughs) struggled for a second there, and the actor uh, Seiji Onaka, I hope I've said that right, both of whom worked on entries of the Godzilla franchise. Not an awful lot to say about Hondo, to be honest, but I am just looking down here in the appearances section on his Wikipedia page as well, and it seems that he appears in the Darth Maul comic series, which I am planning on reading soon, so that's interesting. I'm wondering how on earth he f- he fits into that, but uh, yeah, that's Hondo Onaka, and that was whatever this is called. <laughs> That'll do me today. Sorry that my thoughts on uh, betrayal were somewhat rambling. I always go in thinking that I have so much to say and that I know exactly what I'm gonna say, but it never works out that way. I guess I'm still working out how to talk about novels properly. There's just so much to talk about. You know, novels are big, man. They're long. There's so much that happens. So many words how could you possibly talk about it in a single podcast episode? I'll never know. But anyway, hope you enjoyed it. As always, I enjoyed talking about it, so that's what truly matters, you know? Anyway, that's me. I'm gonna go. Thank you very much for listening to me today. Take care, and goodbye.